play a C. I might play a little dirty someday. How's everybody doing? Coming at you with another week. Yeah, what drink? By the Grass Factor. Be the song everybody wanna sing. Bring harmony and be the chosen one. Ain't nothing gonna stop this. Ain't nothing gonna stop this fire. All right, everybody, I appreciate you tuning in for another week. We're going to be diving into some of the big nasty, the big nasty. The We're going to talk about the kind of hurt that makes you just want to throw up because not only, not only were we dealing with the issues that came along with just going through a commissioning process and paying the amount of money we paid for new equipment, and then all of a sudden it doesn't perform like we expect, but then... We have the actual learning curve of becoming fertilizer manufacturer. So we're going to jump into that today. Oh, it makes me want to throw up thinking about it. All right, everybody. All right, all right, all right. Let's get started here. Let's get started. So, you know, I, I talked about how we... I, I jumped ahead, I steamrolled through everything about how we got to uh, the point where we were actually making product that, that looked good, smelled good, tastes good, not literally tastes good, but it, 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 everything we wanted it to be, we finally had in our hands, right? So I fast-forwarded how we got there, but there was a lot of things we had to learn along the way. And part of that is that there is a whole side to fertilizer manufacturing and even agglomeration where you have to learn about the different uh, issues that can arise. And without going into a whole lot of detail, oh, forget it. We're going into a whole lot of detail. I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm doing it. This is, this is how things start. Okay. One of the things that you think you understand when you're having material trialed for you and that you're having to rely on a lot of information from other people to explain it to you because there's no written rule book about how you granulate fertilizer. There's just not. Everybody kind of keeps that close to their chest and doesn't share a lot of the specifics of that information. So a lot of trial and error has to take place. And you try and get as much of that trial and error done before you make your investment as you possibly can. But what you cannot foresee is the fact that you're going to overlook some things. Or you may not even overlook things, but there may be subtle adjustments in what you do at scale that isn't picked up when you're doing a bench tabletop test. When you don't own your own equipment and you're having to pay out of your pocket for somebody else to do it, you've got a very tight window to be able to do it. You've got limited raw material to be able to do exactly what you want to do. And so you're trying to fit four, five, six different test parameters into this trial that you possibly can. So... Once we got in the trial, what we thought was going to be our final product, and then we got our plant built and we started manufacturing that exam, that same formula that we thought was going to be our final product, 
We ran into a situation that I don't know how else to describe other than when we were bagging material from the time we would bag it to the time it would end up in our end user's hands, it would lose form. It would become soft. And it didn't just become soft. It became soft and it became wet. And why was this happening? And we, ugh, why it was happening, I'm not, I, I, I'm, I'm really not going to get into the details of that. But what I will say is that when you're dealing with hygroscopic materials, there are some weird phenomena that occur when you begin to combine them together in the same space. And we discovered that weird phenomenon without ever intending to. And so, for a long time, we were sending out material that was exper experiencing this issue that we did not know was existing until enough people had put it down and then reached out to us and told us, hey, this is the situation we're facing. And then we were able to stop everything we were doing and go back and re-engineer everything from the ground up and basically hit a giant reset button on what it is we were doing while questioning our sanity and dealing with equipment that doesn't work and having to deal with stripped gearboxes and wrecked motors and all the bullshit we were having to deal with from the equipment side of things. Now, all of a sudden, we've got a chemistry side of things that's going through the same series of just disaster. And nobody knows why it's going on. We're calling everybody we could possibly call. We're calling uh, the specialty equipment manufacturers. We're we're looking through old patents. We're I mean we're going after. We're calling chemists to try and figure out what's going on. And nobody can give us a verifiable answer, a repeatable process. You know, my dad told me is that if you can repeat the mistake, you can, uh, you can, you can come to a, a solution. You can discover a solution. If you can repeat the mistake, you can find a solution. And we could repeat the mistake a hundred times over, but we could not figure out the solution because every adjustment we were told to make. To come up with a solution, it was not meeting our expectations. We would continue to run into the same thing. And you think it would be just something different, right? You know, well, it's dry when it's going in there. How does it go from being dry to all of a sudden taking on atmospheric moisture? And it's really dry. How do you fix that? Is it just a, a product that isn't going to work? Is has that is that what we have discovered that up to this point, we were able to produce a product in a lab-like situation where it'll work in the lab. It works in the lab great, but when you begin to manufacture it at scale, it just doesn't work? Has that what we uncovered? We made it this far only to figure out that we have a product that is not obtainable? So once the panic begins to subside and you look at everything in front of you, and that's exactly what it was. I mean, it was panic. And so, and so we stop and we do and we look at everything in front of us and we say, okay, 
This is not having any problems. This is having problems. Why is this not having problems? Why is this having problems? Well, this contains X and Y ingredients, and this one contains X, Y, and Z ingredients. Is that all we were doing? Do we just need to add this to it? So then you run a certain amount of material and you add that to it. And you got to sit on it for a week, for two weeks, and watch what happens. Same thing happens. Shit. So then you, you move on. You, you add your next test parameter and you try that and you run it and you got to wait two weeks. Bingo. It worked. Okay, what did we change? And so, you know, you, we did a lot. We, we had to call in consultants, and, and we had to conduct a lot of tests. And there was a long period of time in the month of May where we shut everything down. Pretty much the whole month of May, we were done. So we could figure this out. And if there's anything that's important, it's because we had to shut everything down. And it's because we went through this pain. And it's because we systematically figured out how each individual component would react once combined, one by one adding them at different different parameters, different atmospheric conditions, different, different temperatures, different humidities. We learned a lot about our product. Not only did we learn a lot about our product, we learned a lot about agglomerating. So taking the good with the bad, this is one of those skill sets that you file away. You put it into the package of things you learned. You know, you start documenting all the things we, we, we've been through and you go back and you reference it at a later date. Like right now, when we're in the slow months in the winter and you go back and you look at those and it's, uh, it's painful, but you do realize what you learn and you can take that experience. I learned this from this situation. Therefore, I can apply it to this in the future. You know, I don't think it's really any, any big secret that we do work outside of the fertilizer industry as well. We manufacture for industries outside of agriculture. And we were able to take now that experience and apply it to those other industries. And we can, we can say to that client when we're going to conduct a feasibility study, you know, that um, we know this isn't going to work because of this experience with it. And this is the science behind why we had that experience. And so, therefore, we can recommend you not do that because that goes beyond the limits of agglomeration. And so, when you're conducting a feasibility study, we don't have to put them through the same heartache that we went through. And that's a valuable, that's a very, very valuable skill set that you're able to then pass on to your prospective client. But how all this turns and, and feels and is, is part of our story is that we had to go through that learning curve. If we would have flipped on everything and everything ran perfect from day one, no equipment failures, 
no chemistry issues. We never would have known how close we were with flirting with disaster. And so it truly is a blessing that we were able to uncover all of this when we did. The pain was worth it now looking back on it. And so what all of this means is how do we take that experience as a company and rebrand ourselves as a company to show we have been through the pain to justify growing as a business. When we started the company, we were starting the company as, as Sean would say, we were the rebels. We were the rebels of the industry. We were not ever supposed to be in a situation where we are fertilizer manufacturers. We were supposed to be in a situation where we are lawn care applicators. We are, you know, John, you know, management and renewable energy. We had no business being in fertilizer manufacturing, but we made it somehow in there. A lawn jockey. A business developer for renewable energy. Somehow stumbled our way into it. We were rebelling against what was currently out there because I wanted more in my bag of fertilizer. I wanted to do, I wanted the ability to carry some of the things that other people were carrying in their bags. Or I wanted the ability to spread something with my permagreen that other people were had the flexibility to be able to spray. I wanted the freed up tank space. I wanted to do it with something that was nothing else that was not on the market. I had experience with biochar in turf. John is the one who supplied me the material. We put it out on, on a sand-based field. We did awesome with it. We had documented results showing of how effective of a product it was. And I wanted my name on that. How do I bring that to the market? Well, I didn't know that in order to bring that to the market, I had to go through all the shit we went through. I didn't know I was going to have to put out there tons and tons of fertilizer that became wet, seemingly out of nowhere, like a mystery out of the night sky. How do you go? I keep going back to it, but how do you go from a dry product to a wet product? But if we hadn't gone through that, if we hadn't have been the rebels to start, I don't think we could have ever justified rebranding ourselves as a bit of a more professional company. Because we didn't know at the time what it meant to be more professional. And we were rebels at the time because that's exactly what we were. We weren't going to take anything from anybody we were going to build this up from the ground up by ourselves and we did it and we as as john huber says with central turf and irrigation we got our asses handed to us and we had to go through that that's the learning curve you cannot buy 
No amount of equipment will give it to you. That is sweat equity you earn. Those sleepless nights, you earn those. That feeling like some grade school crush just broke up with you and your whole life is falling apart, you earn that. So we went from the rebels to being a bit more polished. Odd how the scars can give you the appearance of being more polished. And so we wanted to rebrand ourselves. We no longer wanted to follow the trend, which is kind of what we were doing. You know, we had we we had worked the deal with with Green County Fertilizer to, uh, you know, mutually benefit each other in in different markets. You know, it would give an option for their liquid uh, products to move their way into uh, a granular world and uh, vice versa. But we went through that pain. We survived that pain. And so we weren't going to follow the trend anymore. So what did we do? In the midst of everything going on, you put your head in the book and you study. And you don't just study a little bit, you listen. You travel, you listen, you pay attention. You talk to people. You engage conversations with people that you shouldn't be having conversations with. You find the PhD in the room and you embark on a conversation that you can't keep up, but you play along. You play along just long enough to be able to pull a little bit of information from it. And you repeat that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times while you're on the verge of throwing up because you just got another freaking text saying that something else went wrong at the plant. I'll never forget this summer we were sitting in a, in a meeting with, uh, with another company we were, we, were, we were talking with, and John got a text message, and his face turned white. And he had to walk out of the room, and he said he had to take this. And when we were leaving, he wasn't really talking a whole lot. And we just got absolutely humiliated in this meeting. I mean, just degraded. You know, they said, you know, how do you feel selling charcoal to people? And uh, it was just, it was, it was disgusting. So not only do you get berated in there, and then I, I, I see John, and I see something's going on. And, You know, we've got all these deadlines that, that are just flying by us. And, and then he says, you know, he explains the problem that went on at the plant. You know, bag house. Um, the filters burned up in the bag house, and then they, they sent us new, new filters. And um, they couldn't find the filters anywhere in the country, and the ones they did send, they were the wrong ones or something like that. It was... It was just a catastrophe, you know, and in the meantime, we're trying to, we're trying to get material out the door. At this time, you know, we've already solved the issue of the rewetting in the bag, so that's, that's been done, you know, we're into June, and, and we figured that out, but now, 
you know, at the at, at the same time, we're trying to produce. We're trying to. Uh, John is is really trying to accurately spend money in the project in the right places. That's going to increase production. And so, in the midst of all of that going on, and just getting humiliated, and your shit tossed in a uh, in a in a in a meeting with a with a huge fertilizer company, you get that text. Those are the scars we wanted to put into rebranding. We put the heartache, we put the money into rebuilding the plant, into making the upgrades in the plant. We put the time and the effort and the money into solving the chemistry issues. And we said, you know what? We don't want to follow the trend. We don't have to be rebels. We can be perfect proponents of how we envision our company to be, and that's to be, number one, innovative. And number two, generate results. The two pillars of our company, innovation and results. And I can't say one is greater than the other because without one, you do not have the other. We decided we're not following the trend. We're doing the study. We're, we're putting our brains into the paper. We're having the conversations. We're building the relationships. We are rebranding Carbon Earth to what we want it to be because it was our effort and our sweat and our tears we put into it. And you come across a study like the root hair promoting peptides. And so you start going down that wormhole. You go to the global specialty fertilizer summit. You have conversations. You get forecasts on the market. You go, you visit the manufacturer of these peptides. Show me your process. And boy, let me tell you, let me tell you what kind of facility they have. It's unbelievable. It's spectacular. And they've got eight years of research into their production process before they even spent the first dollar on it. Eight years. What I would have given to have had that. But we didn't. But we fi we're figuring it out. Right? And so when we look at who we are as a company and we look at what their product does and we look at our future and where we're going and we look at our pain, we knew this was our ability to, one, rebrand, two, be innovative, and three, maximize our results. So what did we first start doing? We start testing it. And I 
wish, I wish every time we had an idea, we had the money where we could go to a university and we say, hey, compare X to Y. It just doesn't work that way. And let me tell you why. Because whenever a test is done like that, typically they will grow the grass for your experiment on the spot. So you will, you know, uh, 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 request a study to be performed in, um, we'll say, March. But they can't get the grass grown until July. And then they can begin your test. So you'll have data from August to September, and then it'll repeat again the following year. And you'll pay anywhere from thirty, fifty to $100,000 for that comparison of X and Y. And sometimes they'll make a mistake while they're doing it too. And they'll be like, oh, well, I thought you wanted me to do that right there. Well, no, you didn't. And you can't rewind back and replace the data you got because that's all you got. And kind of where we were at the time, we had discovered our chemistry mistake. We had to replace all that. We had to dump all the money into, into uh, 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 cor correcting all the mechanical issues at the plant. We don't have 50, 60, 70, 80, 100, $200,000 laying around to invest in this. So what do we do? Well, we got zoysia grass at the plant. We got Bermuda grass in Knoxville. We got fescue in Knoxville. We got Kentucky bluegrass in Kentucky. We've got some friends all across the country through social media. Let's send it out and watch what happens. Let's put some down here. Let's, let's run it side by side. Let's see where we are. And so that's what we did. And that's why you don't see hundreds of pictures out there of what we're doing because it's not a university test sanctioned by Carbon Earth that costs $200,000. We have to go by the experiences that we have with the budget we have. And we're not going to preach it like it's some published study in some re respected article. It's not. It's the same blood, sweat, and tears we put into the plant that we put in to fixing the product into making our next big step in innovation is what it is. So while we may not be rebels, we still have that rebellion in us. But we can do it in a more polished way. We don't have to fit the mold, but we have to have the innovation and the results to support it. So we saw our plant cranking out the material at the rate that we knew it could. We saw the winter approaching us. We saw sales beginning to, to drop with the seasonality. And so we put pen to paper. We re-engineered the product, including the technology of the peptides. We coined the brand for the new technology. 
We put in the graphics. We designed program graphics. We designed product catalogs. We put together everything we wanted our company to represent. And then we started cranking out material. And we started running out of space. And so the first things first is we start building more space. And even that wasn't going to be enough. So then we, we go and we buy a building. We start filling up that building. We're filling up that building with the success of what we have learned. That's what's going into it. And so all the old stuff we had manufactured that we had, we had a little bit of inventory left over. We couldn't wait to give it away because that was representative of who we were. But what we have now is representative of what we are now. And so we're going to stock it to the ceiling. We're going to overflow it out of the building because what we are, what we have in the bag right now for each one of our products is what we stand for as a company. That's what we are as Carbon Earth. That is our pain. That's our sacrifice. That's our families who got ignored. That's our time away from home. That's our nights awake. Let it runneth over. I appreciate everybody tuning in this week. We're going to keep it moving forward again. I know what it takes to be a king. Listen, I almost dropped a bunch of bad words in this episode, and I'm sorry. I dialed it back there at the end. Ain't nothing going to stop this. Ain't nothing going to stop this fire. Listen, it was super emotional, I know, and I don't mean to, but damn it, I'm, I'm emotional about it. I'm proud of this, and I'm proud of us, and I'm proud of what we've become, and I'm proud of the steps we make. So I'm going to cut this up. I'm going to end it 30 minutes in, and I'm going to continue next week with our rebranding and why we're rebranding and how we're rebranding and what we can expect this upcoming year with all the changes we made, why we're investing what we're investing in and where we plan to go. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Ain't nothing gonna stop this, this fire, this fire. Ain't nothing gonna stop this, this fire, this fire. They told me I was never getting far, but those words couldn't take to heart. All right, everybody, thank you so much. I sure do appreciate it. It's a bad bar with the grass back with one drink.